the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home on 101.5 Word FM. And now here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for coming along today for the uh, Tuesday edition of The Ride Home. Kath, good to see you as well. Happy to be here, John. The uh, Judge Kavanaugh story is only heating up, certainly not dying off in any way, shape, or form. This is what happens <laughs> in 21st century, century America politics media we have lost our minds this is such this is a perfect sort of story for the times you think about hashtag me too red state blue state the mm-hmm. president all those things get together the supreme court one. the lifetime appointment everything's here the midterm elections coming up so right before we went to air the latest news is that brent kavanaugh has agreed to show up at a hearing unspecified date and time. No, Monday. It will be Monday. Monday. Okay, so he's going to be there Monday. Mm-hmm. The accuser, Mrs. Ford, uh, has yet to respond, mm-hmm. which is surprising because apparently she had already responded, yes, you'll be there, her, but no official confirmation. Her, through, apparently her lawyer said she was willing to testify, um, but... Um, Mitch McConnell says that they have tried to reach out to her three or four times in the last 24 hours, and she has not responded. Really interesting. Okay. So here we are. We are politicizing now to the deepest nth degree the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Instead of wearing robes, we'll now assemble red robes, blue robes. Which is exactly what the Supreme Court was never intended to be. But it clearly is now. I think from this, we've muddied this so bad. Yeah, I know. The founding fathers would pull their mm-hmm. hair out if they saw what we were doing here. The Supreme Court is now a political arm of the government who's ever in the control right. of the seats. I posted a, um, a speech that Ben Sass gave early in the Kavanaugh hearings, and it got a lot of play on Facebook and on Twitter. The Schoolhouse Rock speech. Because it is so important what he said. He said, why are people protesting the Supreme Court? People should be protesting the legislature because we're the ones that get elected by the people. We're the, the ones. We're the ones that are, that should make the decisions. The Supreme Court is supposed to be apolitical. Yes, but the, but the legislature refuses on political grounds because they want to be reelected again and again and again. So they don't do their jobs correctly, properly, or at all, and so everything gets kicked upstairs. And that's why we're political right now with the Supreme Court. And do your job. And he said if. These lifetime appointed jurors are going to be wearing red and blue outfits, so to speak, then they shouldn't be lifetime appointees anymore. They should be elected officials. If they're going to come down on party lines, they should be elected officials. So we should just scrap the whole idea of the lifetime appointment at the Supreme Court if that's the way it's going to be. Look, I I don't know. You know what I started thinking about today? Hmm. So many times in the hashtag MeToo movement, I heard the phrase – Imagine if it was your daughter. 
And I think that's really important. I think it Without helps to get at the heart of what that would be like. I've, and I've thought about that a lot in the last couple of days. Okay, so what if it was my daughter? But you know what I thought about this morning? Hmm. I thought about what if it was your son? Who was being accused. Yeah. What if it was your son? I think that that also is an important thing to consider. If, I mean, I can't put myself in that situation because I'm not that age, but what if, you know, Judge Kavanaugh was your son? So as much as we have insisted on this show over and over and over again, no matter what scandal we're talking about, hashtag me too, whether it's in the church or out of the church, that the first thing we do is listen to the accuser. We have to listen. Without a doubt. Absolutely. That is the number one thing we have to do. Because the narrative is the reverse of that. Every single time. We have to listen to to the accuser. Historically, we have not listened. Yes. People have said, well, you know, you're obviously a hussy or you're asking for this or you dress this provocative way or any number of crazy excuses. Or you made it up about that Right. That sexism has sort of overridden this for many, many, many. This is not even an open secret. This is everybody knows how this has worked in the past. So with this new reckoning, which I believe everyone would agree, well-meaning people nodding your head, this is long overdue. Yes. That there should be accountability, that there should be creepiness called creepiness for what it is. Yes. Perversion or the mashers, as I said earlier today, those among us, right? The gropers, the feelers, the, the re- whatever. Those who were entitled in positions of power or not, historically, whether they were 16 years old or 66 years old, should be called out for what they are. No doubt about that. But here's my question. Have we reached a point in the pendulum swing, which, as you just said, is appropriate? Have we reached a point in the pendulum swing where we have to realize that there's going to come a time when someone is going to be accused who's not guilty? And because of our proclivity to believe the victim, which we're all going into with the best of intentions, are we going to ruin somebody's life who didn't do it? That's my question. I'm not saying Kavanaugh didn't do it, but I'm saying there are enough questions in this story and the timing of the release of it. I got to be honest with you. It's making me wonder. I understand. Yeah. Um, How do you get to the bottom of this? Because this is the classic he said, she said. One other person in the room with young Brett Kavanaugh at the time, right? We're supposed to. Are we going to hear from him, his story? There's no plan to hear from anyone else. There's only a plan. The only two people that have been invited to testify on Monday are the two parties, Brett Kavanaugh and Christine Brown. What's their last name? Ford. Thank you. Christine Blasey Ford. So those are the only two people. He's He has agreed. She has not yet agreed. I don't get it. I don't know how you make sense of this. Um, but one thing – so what I mean in the pendulum swing is we're going to have to as a society reckon with the idea that because of our insistence on believing women, which is important and right, we have to still look for proof. That We still have to look for evidence. We have to, or we're going to end up indicting an innocent man. Okay, so and then, do we want that? No, of course no, not. No, I mean that's not going to make it right. You ruined someone's so, life. So a bunch of men, you know, millions of men have behaved badly, and so we're going to sacrifice one guy who didn't behave badly because we, you know, aren't looking for enough evidence. I don't know. I just think it's an important question to ask. So now, again, politically, Democrats have said, "Well, you know what? We should involve the FBI." President Trump has said we should Uh, not involve the FBI. Here's something that happened 30 to 35 years ago. How do you interview people at at a party that the accuser says she doesn't really remember what year that was or whose house it was at? So 
this is all of the fog of the mist right now. How do you find some hard evidence to nail this down? Well, I think one thing that we don't need the FBI for is when allegations came out about Harvey Weinstein. I mean, um, when they came out about uh, who's the House of Cards guy? Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey. When they came out, Kevin Spacey. When they came out, Louis C.K., um, Charlie Rose, Matt Lauer. There was one person, and then there was a bunch of people. Right. There, every one of these guys, um, there was a demonstrated pattern of of abuse. Sure. And each one of those women's stories was creepily similar. Yeah. I mean, there was definitely a modus operandi that these guys were using. If that happens here, he's done. He's oh, over. Sure. It's finished. one more person comes forward. If it doesn't happen, I don't know. Would he? I mean, there, there, there is no in a lot of those hashtag Me Too stories. There's no proof, right? Uh, and I'm using air quotes in that. But there's a lot of corroboration from other women. So if we're not going to have proof in this scenario, we have to have corroboration from somebody else. I would think, would, or, or we can't. We can't possibly keep this guy from the Supreme Court for is just it, an allegation. Is it one and done? It can't and, be one and done. And I mean, how many guys? And this is no. Again, everything you, you're paraphrasing here. This is no excuse for supposed behavior. But a lot of guys can't even remember, you know, the '70s and what they were doing. The whole decade, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> seriously, I mean, this goes back not to excuse stupidity or uh, what outright sexual assault. Yeah, on women, not to. Ex- but if you're 15, 16, or 17, this is – I'm not saying boys will okay, be boys. Okay, but if if you did that, you cannot tell me you don't remember unless you're so much of a lout that you did it all the time. Come on. I mean guys know. Yeah, and they girls would remember. Too. Right. You would remember. But so that when part of my – Unless you're so inebriated that you have lost your memory of the event. And especially for a woman, I would imagine for this young, for the young woman, Christine Blasey Ford, when she was a young girl, when this happened, was she so ashamed or so shocked by this that she just kept it to herself and could not mm-hmm. tell anyone? No she friends. said, I remember in uh, her statement in the Washington Post or to the Washington Post that was printed uh, on Sunday that she was afraid her parents would find out that she was at a party that was serving alcohol. Which you get. I, how many kids would you know cover and hide? Right. Everybody. Nobody wants to get busted, especially in that time frame. I don't know. I, it's really all I'm thinking crazy. is this is going to be the biggest circus on Monday. I can't even imagine. And if she doesn't testify, she's she has to testify. If she doesn't testify. It's a mute point, I believe. I mean, it's come this far. But if you pushed it to the 11th hour, 11th and a half hour and you don't show up. Well, I think it's the story's over. It right. has to be over. Right. God help us. Okay, we're going to talk about this more. We're going to talk about this more at uh, five thirty as our show unfolds. But coming up next, we're going to turn to stewarding the arts. Uh, Keith Getty is going to be with us in just a little bit. He and his wife um, are great hymn writers in a contemporary sense. And I just went to their conference in Nashville. We'll talk about a lot of those details with Keith coming up next. One hundred one point five W O R D. Here's Dr. Charles Stanley. God is the one who shows us a sense of direction for our life. You don't have to flounder through life wondering, well, what am I here for? Where am I headed? What is my purpose? God is more than willing to show you what his purpose, his will, and his plan for your life is. 
Hear the series, Success God's Way, this week on In Touch with Dr. Charles Stanley. Tomorrow morning at 8.30 on 101.5 WORD. The Pittsburgh North Regional Chamber, along with St. Barnabas Health System, proudly presents the next session in their educational series, Innovation Pittsburgh, Friday, September 21st from 8 to 11.30 a.m. at the Washington Place of St. Barnabas Health System in Gibsonia. Join host, former Allegheny County Executive James Roddy, and explore what great opportunities are in store for America's most livable city, featuring a panel of the region's leading entrepreneurial experts. For tickets and information, visit pghnorthchamber.com. Life doesn't stop on the weekends and neither do you. So we understand that it can be hard to find the time to shop for a mattress. This is Robin Trzinski of the Original Mattress Factory and we have a completely new website designed to help you simplify the mattress shopping experience. Check out our products, view our prices, and even place an order for pickup, local delivery, or to have it shipped outside of our delivery area. Just visit OriginalMattress.com and find a thoughtfully made, honestly priced mattress of your own. The Original Mattress Factory. Great beds, no bull. You've committed yourself to pastoring and preaching from the Word of God. You've got to do that against the background of a collapsing culture. And then you've got to do it because of the nature of Scripture itself. Word FM presents Know the Truths, Philip DeCourcy at the 2018 Pastor Appreciation Luncheon. To preach the Bible as the handbook for life rather than as a revelation of Christ is to turn the Bible into an entirely different book. A free event for pastors, October 3rd at Heinz Field. RSVP now at wordfm.com slash pal. Are you struggling in your marriage? Giving each other the silent treatment? Do you feel hurt? You can save your marriage. Hope Restored, a marriage intensive experience by Focus on the Family, provides in-depth quality counseling care that will make a difference in your life and your marriage. Call 1-866-875-2915. Or go to HopeRestored.com. That's HopeRestored.com. I just got back from Nashville. You got you just got back from Nashville? Yeah. How was Nashville? You know what? Uh, I've only been there one other time. Uh, I had a great time. Mm-hmm. I had a great... You know, I went by myself, which is my favorite mode when I'm going to a conference. Everybody's behind. I just like to, I just like to lock in. Uh, and just kind of, you know, think on my own. Yeah. Um, I've been a, a worship leader at a church for a couple decades now. And so these conferences are like my only opportunity to get away and not be the person up front, just so- to be the anonymous person in the thing. And the conference I went to was the conference called Sing, put on by Keith and Kristen Getty. I mean, I was impressed because as you're away, you're sending me photos. Here's a photo of Alistair Begg. Here's a, a photo of Tim Keller. Right. So all these people have been on our show who we've never been face to face with, right? I was are. close. I was way closer to them in Nashville than I've ever been, was we were having conversations with them here in the air. But I mean, it was like one heavy hitter it after was. another and lots of great music. Yeah, it was a really, really fun cool. week, and I'm super excited to have Keith Getty on the show so we can uh, debrief it okay. together. Keith Getty, along with his wife, Kristen, are musicians and global ambassadors for modern hymns throughout the world. Their Irish Christmas show, touring annually since 2011, plays to some 40 to 50,000 people nice. every year. Can you believe that? Featured annual sold-out performances at Carnegie Hall, as well as all over the place. Um, you probably know Keith Getty's name because he, along with Stuart Townend, wrote In Christ Alone, which is estimated. Here's another uh, number that's going to blow you away, John. Estimated to be sung by 40 to 50 million people <laughs> each year in worship services. That's cool. um, just back from the uh, conference that Keith and Kristen put on in Nashville. So, Keith Getty, welcome to the program. 
How you doing, guys? Great to be on the show this afternoon. Thank yeah, you. happy to have you with us. So, um, like I said, I had a wonderful week at the conference you put on. Um, really, really enjoyed myself and feel like I gained a lot from it. Can you talk about the reason that you and your wife decided that you wanted to do this type of conference for the church? Well, it was um, our, our life's work really is, is writing is writing doctrinal hymns for twenty first century church hymns that help Christian. Learn the Christians learn the Bible deeper, and uh, we increasingly we got concerned that as as we talked and shared with pastors and musicians that we needed to help them a little bit more in their music. And of course, my hero was Martin Luther, mm-hmm. and Luther brought congregational singing back um, 500 years ago last year. So we started it really as a five as a 500th anniversary celebration of Martin Luther, and then from there. Uh, from there, uh, the, the conference has just taken on a life of its own, and so, so it's really about helping individuals, helping families, helping churches sing, and it, and it's really taken the values of deep theology, of helping families and churches sing, and of vibrant artistry, and so we really combine the three, and and it, it is exciting. It's almost like three different worlds coming together in a kind of a really curious way, but we're absolutely thrilled. So, so I'm so glad you're able to make it. Mm. Well, I loved it. And, you know, I, there were so many things. I mean, I, I could talk to you for three hours about about the stuff I got out of the conference. But well, I, got, I, got, I got two hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, one of the breakouts I went to um, was Sandra McCracken. And she said something that I, I, I really stuck with me. She said there's a difference in writing a song for people to listen to and writing a song for people to sing. And so from your perspective as a songwriter, talk about that. I mean, do you feel the same way? Well, yeah, well, when you're writing a song for a congregation to sing, your, your mind is trying to think of a melody that joins people together. And so, and that should make sense. So a pastor should be choosing a song that, that his people sing well together. You know, not a song that he heard on the radio or he heard at a conference, but a song that he knows his people will sing well together. A worship leader should be choosing a song that he knows every generation want to sing together. You know, um, uh, similarly, a songwriter then, is, is trying to serve the people. Um, even a worship leader puts it in the key and does a musical arrangement that helps the congregation sing. It shouldn't hinder them. It certainly shouldn't be done in the key that the worship leader wants to do it in, but rather what helps the body of people. And Because singing ultimately is a symbol of us being the body of Christ. You know, If Christianity was just about being perfect by myself, I'd probably go to brunch on a Sunday morning in one of those really nice cool brunch places you saw in Nashville and, and read a Christian book. But no, it's not. It's about being family. And so we go and be family together, and then as part of that, we sing to one another as the symbolism that this is a holy family drawn together for, for, for spiritual reasons. Mm. Keith, one of the favorite memories I have of growing up as a family, I'm one of seven kids, and, and when we would get in the family station wagon— What, no, what, number, are you, what number are you? I'm six. Six out of seven? Yes, sir. Fantastic. Are you a, lar- you're a large family as well? I'm, I'm oldest of four, and Kristen's oldest of four. Excellent. Six and seven. So, so we're—, we're we're, we're, we're almost technically incompatible. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that. So what I remember as being part of our family is that when we would get in the family station wagon, we would always sing. My mother would, you know, and we, we would drive down the road singing, you know, and, and what, what wasn't necessarily hymns, but, you know, they were fun songs. We all, and when I think about those memories, us together, nine voices driving down the road, is there something That's deeply gorgeous. emotional about it and, and you know, the, the togetherness about that? So, but, what about that as far as the church and what you're trying to create? Well, 
It's totally, it's totally right. You know, Luther, when Luther re-established congregational singing 500 years ago, obviously he said, you know, as I read the Old Testament and the New Testament and all the church fathers, it seems we learn so much of our faith through the hymns that we sing. And so when he, then it, 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 it gradually got lost for a period of time, and Luther brought it back again with this, with this idea that, that individuals would learn their faith, that they'd be taught the Bible by the preachers, but they carry the Bible out of church through the songs that they sing. In other words, the songs that were part of your station wagon and part of your home and part of your church, they're the reasons that you understand Bible verses today. They're the reasons you understand truth. And they're the reasons that even at a deeper level of intellect, but that there's your memory, your emotions, your, your passions, your prayers, your, all respond to that. But, but even more so than that, I, one of the things we've always emphasized from the start, this is, this is about singing as individuals. This is about singing in our homes, and this is about singing in churches. In other words, in other words, no worship leader has any business standing on a stage anywhere if he is not filling his home with songs of the Lord first. Mm-hmm. That's, the first that's his first job. And uh, it's interesting, New England Puritans, who, were, who came to America from my part of the world, and uh, we're, we're pretty close to where you guys are in the area of years, you know, didn't allow men to take communion if they weren't filling their home with songs of the Lord. Really? So important was it. The, the American Sunday School movement originated in singing schools because that, they said that's how people would memorize the scriptures. That's how they would memorize the doctrines. That's how they would know God and, and learn about God. And so what we sing in church and the content of what we sing in our churches is of such utterly critical importance. It's something that every pastor has to be involved in. It's something that we have to be deeply humble and thoughtful about, um, but also it's something that parents have to be thoughtful about, you know, in our homes. I remember the first time I met Pastor John MacArthur, and I was having one of those bad parent days, you know, when your, your kids are all cooked up, or in L.A., and it was like the one day a year that it rains in L.A., we're stuck <laughs> in a hotel room, and like everything that could be going wrong was going wrong, and Kristen goes, I think you have to go and meet John MacArthur and Panera Bread. Well, it was like the last straw. It was like, oh my goodness, this day is just kidding. <laughs> and so I said, I said to Dr. MacArthur and, and Panera, I said, he says, you're looking stressed. And I said, well, have you any advice on how to raise kids? And he said, well, it actually begins with the song. A lot of it says begins with the songs you fill your home with. And he says, and I, he said, I said, songs of the Lord from a credible witness is one of the most important things. And an important witness is one of the most important ways to raise a family. And uh, he didn't start with doctrine. He didn't, even, he, didn't start with, he didn't even start with structured family devotions. He started with turning your home, mm. the songs of the Lord. And that. that combined with lives that are consistent is actually one of the most foundational ways. It's, it's a little bit like in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. You know, when God says to the children of Israel to write these truths in our heart, and they would do write these letters and take days at a time with these big things to write the letters. It's almost the same thing. You know, it's how we write the scriptures in our hearts is by singing them. I was with my girls this morning. We were singing Joshua at the Battle of Jericho. And they know every word of that song, every word of that story, you know, because of that. And, uh, and, and, and you know, so, so, it's, so, so a huge part of, our, of, of the same conference, and we had a pre-conference as well uh, with, 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 with friends of ours who, who put it together. And uh, just looking at how we fill, how we help the next generation of children sing deep songs. Mm-hmm. We are at such a critical point in Christian history that that the, the reality of the, their reality growing up is going to be so different to what my reality was. Sure that we at this point have to build deep believers, and if we think we're going to build deep believers by forcing them to listen to long sermons and then sing silly songs, we we have created such a duplicitous, confused idea. 
as to as to how people learn the Bible. That I think it's it's an urgent time. There's an urgency to this uh, that we need to fill our own our own minds and hearts, our families' minds and hearts, and our churches' minds and hearts with deep, rich songs with the Lord Jesus. I'm talking to Keith Getty, along with his wife, Kristen. They're musicians and global ambassadors for modern hymns throughout the world. This uh, amazing figure that in Christ Alone, which is probably the song that most of you know, written by Keith and Stuart Townend, Christ Alone is estimated to be sung by 40 to 50 million people each year in worship services. All right, Keith, now this is a little bit of inside poker, you know, worship leader to worship leader. But I think it's important because I know that there are a lot of music leaders who listen to the show. Um, and one of the things that has impressed me and inspired me, it's just, I'm, it gives me s- such an attitude of gratefulness when I hear you and your wife, is that you surround yourselves with excellent musicians. And, you know, one of the things that has blessed me truly the most out of all my years of, uh, of leading worship in a local church are the wonderful musicians who have been miles and miles better than me, who have surrounded me, who have supported me, who have lent their skills and abilities. And boy, I think if we're not willing as worship leaders to not be the best person musically on the stage, then we need to reevaluate how we're leading worship. Can you talk about that? Well, there's several several questions. I think we're in there. Uh, I think I think first of all, being surrounded by better people. You know, I got, I got introduced at a conference last year uh, as the weak link of more duos than they could possibly find. So I kind of <laughs> Boy, that's something I to be proud of. I know. Well, I was the weak link of a hymn duo with Stuart, and the weak link of an artist duo with Kristen, and the weak link in our Christmas show with Benon, and the weak and the weak link of a conference with the guy Josh that created with me, and the weak link of a business. And so it's like it's like how many weak links can you? How many things can I be the weak link of? So, so I guess in life, in life, I've had to learn because of my limited, my limited, you know, set of skills that, you know, that collaboration. Uh, you know, fifty percent, fifty percent of something that's bigger than ourselves is better. And even as a publisher now, that's you know, so as a songwriter, I was originally a songwriter, but you know what? I'm a publisher now, and if I wanted to, I could sit down and go, "Well, I wonder would it be better if I just protected my own space and protected my own brand, protected mm-hmm. my own reputation?" But you know what? We are, you know, we are, life is so short, and the gospel is so important. Mm-hmm. But the, the importance of, of investing in other people and giving to other people and giving a chance and letting them do what they want with it, you know, is important. But I think there's a second thing which you're coming to, and that is the importance of, of, of artistry. And this is something that is terribly lost in the modern church. Sadly, and sadly, it's lost in both what I would call the, the more charismatic streams and the more conservative streams for different reasons. Uh, and we have to realize that, you know, I, I studied the, I studied Tim Keller's book called The Songs of Jesus, which is every day through the year through the Psalms. I yep. recommend it to you. Spending yep. your quiet time, The Songs of Jesus by Tim Keller. I don't get a cut. I just think it's an amazing thing. But this morning we were looking at Psalm 104, and he made the comment that there are, where he looks at all the animals that God has created, the splendor of God's creativity. And there are 300,000 types of beetle, the insect, the beetle. There are 300,000 types of beetle. The, the God we have created is a God who loves beauty, yes. who loves variety, diversity, who loves joy and vibrancy and energy. And, um, and, uh, and, and we are made to be magnetically attracted to those things. So while each of us have been given limited talents in life, it is true that those who are given beautiful musical talents but can become, but can become with a life that is lived consistently, can become irresistibly attractive for the gospel. You know, beautiful music attracts people. It just does. 
Do you know what I mean? And it doesn't have to sound like radio. It doesn't have to sound like what chords. It doesn't have to be, you know, dumb people who are under 25 years old in your church playing it. Not that there's anything wrong with that. You know, 20 years ago, I had to encourage people to use to use younger folks in the church. Now we have to encourage them to use anybody who's like 30 and got double. Do you know what I mean? So, right. so we need so we need to understand rediscover some of that beauty because the fact of the matter is a whether it's the church or whether it's just human history you know the society that has got beautiful music has got beautiful art has got beautiful creativity has got flourishing families has got flourishing civilizations and that happens at the macro level like we look at you know france in the 19th century or germany in the 18th century or it happens at the or it happens at the at the at the micro level where you see the family and the church that are all good at music, they tend to be very intelligent, tend to be successful, you know, that kind of thing. It's music breeds, music breeds a magnetism and a more and a more creative and alert and intelligent and vibrant and joyful kind of community. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important that we take it seriously. I think it's important that we value artistry. It's important that we respect it. But also a quick word to those who are musicians. You know, we interviewed four people at the conference on, on the on the Monday, which was fabulous. John, I love that John. Yeah, John Patitucci is one of the five greatest basses in the history of jazz. So many Grammys. We, we invented and introduced the, the concertmaster of the Philly Orchestra, who's the guest concertmaster of the New York Phil, David Kim. We introduced a painter, Ross Wilson, who's one of Prince Charles's advisor in the arts, a great friend of Arthur Miller, one of the great American literaries. And then we interviewed Tripoli, the rapper. And Tripp made this wonderful comment that, um, you know, no artist can take a pass in local church mm-hmm. life. Those four guys are all stuck in, in local church. They're all brilliant at the arts. They're all deep theologians. And they're all passionate about their families and getting stuck in, in their local church and being involved. And that has to be the model of anybody who, who is in music. You know, I, because of us having kids and traveling, we haven't been a local church music director in our church. So we're, we're in the music team. And we lead sometimes, and I'm kind of like, I try to help out with the get with. I sit in the weekly meetings just to be part of the team. But right now in life, it's more important, given the role that I have, that my daughters see me in church early and every Sunday, excited about church, singing passionately, bringing friends home from church for Sunday lunch, and thinking of church as a habit of our week. Mm. You know, and so that, that that's the other side of the coin, is the, the creatives have to be, they have to be giving themselves to church, and as Triple E says, wisely, never taking a pass. At, at being treated well or being treated specially or, or, or not or not giving everything to the, to the family of God. Well, Keith, I got to tell you, just speaking individually, I was absolutely changed by the week that you guys put on last week. So thank you so much for your for your efforts. I mean, for all of your songwriting efforts, for the people that you surrounded yourself with on stage, for the way you modeled that and uh, for putting together just such a wonderful time and for being with us today. So that's Keith Getty. Thanks, Keith. Thank you, Keith. Take a break, come back. We've got a lot more head. Stick around. Tuesday edition of The Ride Home. My daughter couldn't keep up with math in school. It was it was really hard for her. Brooke has an above average IQ, and yet she wasn't learning. You're frustrated. You're unable to get those answers and solutions that you're looking for, and you're exhausted because you've gone through every other option. I feel like all I did was yell at my kid all day. We just got through pretty much until we found Brain Balance. That's when she started to thrive. Brain Balance is the answer for your kid because it didn't just mask the problems, it actually addressed the issue. We started seeing huge differences in her behavior. Suddenly things were clicking for her. 
I would ask him how he did in school, and he'd smile. When those things start to click, when those things start to go, it's so exciting. Brain balance didn't just help for Brooklyn and help for our whole family. Brain balance worked for my kids. Give your child the foundation they need to succeed in school. Call Brain Balance today and find out how you can change the life of your child and your family. For more information, visit brainbalance.com. This is Jay Hagerman of Abernathy and Hagerman. Upon your passing, you wouldn't want a judge to decide who raises your children or how your estate gets divided. It is important to review your estate planning documents to ensure they protect what matters most. At Abernathy and Hagerman, we will work with you to establish an estate plan that nominates a guardian for your minor children and that your assets are used for your family's benefit. Judge for yourself. For legal help that lasts a lifetime, visit a-h.law. For victims of drunk and drug driving, our grief is unique, but you are not alone. MAD is here to help. Call our 24-hour victim helpline at 877-MAD-HELP or visit mad.org. That's M-A-D-D dot O-R-G. Hi, I'm John Henney from Henney Jewelers. Since 1887, my family has helped people celebrate the most memorable moments in their lives. We are rooted in faith and commit to doing the right thing again and again. We believe in the covenant of marriage and use our To Have and To Hold program to encourage couples as they prepare to spend the rest of their lives together. Please stop into our Shadyside store to learn more or visit HennyJewelers.com. Henny Jewelers, your jewelers for life. I get this warm feeling every single time we have special needs patients in our office. Their needs are not that different from anybody else. Spending the time with that patient is very rewarding to me. Exceptional dentistry meets compassionate care at StockFamilyDentistry.com. Hey, this is John Hall. This Friday, Kath and I hit the books as The Ride Home broadcasts live from Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. It's the grand reopening of the newly renovated Barber Library, the largest standalone theological library east of the Mississippi. Stop by from 4 to 6, enjoy coffee at the cafe and see all this fantastic local resource has to offer including the new fred rogers family room you'll be over the moon speaking of which andy masick from the history museum will join us to talk about the upcoming apollo 11 exhibit this friday from four to six on the ride home with john and kathy Partly cloudy tonight with areas of fog developing later on, low 62. Tomorrow, patchy morning fog, otherwise partly sunny with a delightful afternoon, high 81. Tomorrow night, mainly clear and mild, patchy fog later on, low 64. Thursday, patchy morning fog, otherwise sunny to partly cloudy and warm with a high of 85. I'm AccuWeather Meteorologist Bill Skladenkis on 101.5 Word FM. Hey, welcome back. Okay, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. You ever follow that adage? Well, yeah, except that, you know, I think that could pretty much be used as a weapon. <laughs> yeah, it was used as a weapon at our house growing up. I bet it was. Right, you know, you, oh, yeah, that's mine. Oh, yeah. Okay, so uh, a kid, a uh, high school junior in uh, Santa Barbara, he was driving home from school last Wednesday. He noticed a black purse in the middle of the street as he was driving down the street. He got out of his car, uh, opened up the purse. Inside, mm-hmm. $10,000 in cash. No. $10,000 in cash. Rami Zini, 16, said he opened the purse to find the owner's identification, was surprised to discover more money than he'd ever seen in his entire life. He spoke with his parents. They did the right thing by turning in the small fortune to Good the Santa Barbara County Good Sheriff's for Office. Them. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, he said, I figured it was the right thing to do if I take it and find whosever person it was because if the roles were reversed and I lost something with a significant sum of money, I knew I'd want it back for sure. The sheriff's office said in a Facebook post that a watch officer was able to contact the owner, return the money to her, writing that, quote, she was very grateful. Uh, apparently, the uh, Zini was not left empty-handed for the good deed. The person owner was so touched by the teen's honest actions that she gave him 100 bucks. Oh, come on. 100 bucks? She gave him 100 bucks. He just found He just gave her $10,000. She gave him 100 That's a rip-off. $100. No, it's not a ripoff. It's insulting. Well, maybe it's not really great. That doesn't seem grateful to me. Maybe it was somebody who was really elderly, and you know, a hundred dollars was a lot of money to her. But maybe she had ten thousand. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You know how people are. Money's weird. Ten thousand bucks. I would have easily given this kid. What what would you give him? Well, a thousand. Give him ten percent. Wouldn't you? What would you give him? I don't know. I, yeah, I, I give him a thousand bucks, but you don't know people's circumstances. What if this was all this lady's, you know, four hundred one k money that she had, you know, in the world? She didn't have any of it, get it. because she I dropped it. it in the street. Yeah. If it wasn't for that kid, she would have zero dollars. Now she has ten thousand. Most people. So the uh, least she can do is give him a nice chunk. He's yeah. a kid. He did the right thing. How many kids would find ten grand and say, "See you later"? Not many. Well, or, most, or, yeah, most, most kids, would. Yeah. Not many would be honest like this, unfortunately. No, I think that's. I think it was hundred bucks. Poor choice. Hundred bucks. She could be, you know, what in a couple, a, a couple Chick Fil A coupons. I don't, you know, you can't read into this. He did the right thing, and that was enough. He did the right thing, right? And that was enough. That was all. That was the. That was the reward. That is enough. The right except thing. that the reward should have been more. Take a break. Come back. Dr. Thomas Kidd is with us. The paradox of American religion and American secularism. Stick around for that. W-O-R-D. Your story of faith and spiritual growth is an important one. And here at Word FM, we are interested in hearing how this station has made a direct and positive impact on your life. It gives me inspiration and hope. It's our wish that what you hear from us positively affects you and your family. And we would love for you to tell us about it. It's really encouraging to me. Whenever I need to be uplifted, there's something on to uplift me. So visit wordfm.com slash story. Record a video message and share your story with us. For doing that, you'll be eligible to win a grand prize of an Apple iPad Pro and an Apple Pencil. It's encouraging. It's inspiring, and it lifts me up when I'm having a bad day. Visit wordfm.com slash story and share your video. Join Pittsburgh Theological Seminary on Tuesday, October 2nd at 4 p.m. for their annual McClure Lecture in World Mission and Evangelism. This year's lecture will feature Emory University professor and author G. Hugh Hansiles. Dr. Hansile's free lecture, Christian Unity and Witness in a New Age of Migration, will be held on the campus of Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, 616 North Highland Avenue in East Liberty. Learn more at pts.edu. Obamacare, Trumpcare, ACA, COBRA, there are so many choices, but I'll bring one word to mind, expensive. 
There are lots of changes happening in healthcare today. Fortunately, I know someone that has been on the forefront of health insurance for years. Todd Marley at Marley Financial. Todd and his team of professionals are licensed with virtually every healthcare provider in the country. They help determine which plan is right for you and then expertly help you choose the best plan for your needs and do so prudently. Don't need maternity coverage? Call Marley Financial. Have pre-existing conditions? Call Marley Financial. Want just catastrophic or just accident? You know the answer. Worried about the penalty? Marley Financial plans are all penalty exempt. Because they know how to design the plans, most of their clients save 30 to 60%, which can add up to several thousand a year. Call Todd at Marley Financial, 724-884-1496. That's 724-884-1496 and on the web at MarleyFG.com. Todd Chapman here with Food for the Poor. I just returned from Haiti, where I met too many families who are clinging to life because of lack of food. You probably know that Haiti is the poorest country on this side of the world. The average person struggling to earn just $2 a day. But life in Haiti is harder than ever due to skyrocketing inflation, rising food prices, and a prolonged drought. I met many families who survived by raising crops on small plots of land. But those fields are now dust bowls. Even the lucky few who find work are only able to make enough money to buy a cup of rice each day. Never enough to feed their kids. They're desperate. And so I'm calling on you, God's people, to help. Through Food for the Poor, you can feed a starving family of four for a whole year for just $320 and give them access to clean, safe drinking water for life. $320 can bring hope back to these families in the name of Christ. Just $27 a month. Will you help? 855-828-4673. You can also give online at wordfm.com or you can call from your cell phone. Simply dial pound 250 and say, I want to give. Why a classical Christian education? Because kids learn differently at different ages. Through grammar, we grasp the building blocks of knowledge. Logic teaches how those building blocks relate. Then rhetoric helps us communicate what we know. For over 50 years, Trinity Christian School has intentionally applied this classical approach to education with great success. It's just one reason why they're consistently ranked among the top K-12 schools in Allegheny County. Trinity Christian School. 412-242-8886. I just saved hundreds of dollars by switching to GEICO. I'm as happy as a clam. Disclaimer, GEICO cannot guarantee you will be, quote, as happy as a clam, unquote. The GEICO legal team cannot accurately verify clams even experience the complex human emotional state known as happiness. As an invertebrate mollusk living half-submerged on the ocean floor, with no arms, legs, or wireless access, what's there to be happy about? A clam's all like, oh, I'm so happy I didn't get turned into New England clam chowder today. Pronounced regionally as chowder, chowder. Oh, that's so fun to say. What were we talking about again? GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Dr. Thomas Kidd is with us. Dr. Kidd is a distinguished professor of history and associate director of the Institute for Studies of Religion at Baylor University. Thomas Kidd's books include American Colonial History, Clashing Cultures and Faith, Baptist in America, A History, and Patrick Henry, First Among Patriots. Thomas, welcome back to the show. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Uh, Dr. Kidd, uh, you, you wrote a piece that appears in today's Gospel Coalition called The Paradox of American Religion and American Secularism. And you started, very interesting so, with Dwight Eisenhower. And you described Dwight Eisenhower as the president as a complete paradox, religiously and secularly. Talk about that. Yeah, Eisenhower uh, presides over probably the time of greatest expression of American civil religion, maybe in, in American history. This is the time when we adopted In God We Trust as the national motto and put under God in the Pledge of Allegiance. 
Um, some people may not know that. I mean, it is fairly recent that those things have been added uh, to, you know, kind of these patriotic occasions for Americans. And Eisenhower was really keen on that kind of, you know, public but sort of generic religious expression. And he, he said that the whole American experiment was based on deeply held religious faith, which a lot of Christians would say that's, that's right. But then he said, and I don't care what that faith is. <laughs> which you kind of think, well, now wait a minute, if it, if you have to have deeply held religious faith, doesn't it matter what it is? But he, this wasn't just one time, he said that a number of times, and so he must have really thought about this, that it doesn't really matter in particular what kind of religion it is, but America has to be religious. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. And, and for religious... a lot of Christians, that's a little confusing. But religious freedom, first and foremost. Religious freedom, for sure. Uh, I mean, and I think that that is, and, and, and religious freedom in the time of the Constitution was won uh, substantively by evangelical Christians calling for religious liberty. So that that part of it is not being born out of secularism. But, you know, it's it's just a strange thing about America, I think, getting into the 1950s and, and even through present day, that we seem to be, on one hand, the most religious, especially compared to Western Europe, we're a lot more religious than a lot of those countries, but then we're strangely secular in some ways, too. Mm -hmm. Now, you can um, correct me on the quote, but I seem to remember John Adams, going back way further than the 1950s, talking about the fact that a democracy like this one is wholly unsuited for a non-religious people. So he wasn't advocating a particular uh, perspective, a particular religious perspective, though he had his own. Um, but that's the same type of of attitude, right? Which is that we is that the uh, the American people need some type of belief in a god. Yeah, for sure. And and I think you know all the founders they did, they just took a lot of things for granted about you know we're an overwhelmingly Christian people. Uh, and even though some of the founding fathers, you know, were kind of skeptics and deists themselves, I mean, they they could assume a lot about the religious character of the American people. And I, I think really the best uh, writing on this was by Alexis de Tocqueville mm-hmm. when he talked about yes. democracy in America in the 1830s, that if you're going to have a republic where you have government by the people and for the people, as Abraham Lincoln put it, well, th- those people have to be moral and virtuous. And, you know, where do you get that from? For most people, that comes from religion, not from the government. And so, you know, maybe if you were a monarchy, you know, a, a, a monarchical government, you could do with, you know, without religion, because you just have the king just tell you what to do. But if if, it, if the government's going to depend on the people, you've got to have virtue. Mm-hmm. So... Th- what is this per- weird paradox born out of? Just because America is singularly unique in its own DNA, that we are deeply secular but deeply religious at the same time. No other country on the face of the earth is as two-sided as we are. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, there's it, it's it does have to do with the tradition of freedom of religion, I think for sure, but also paired with. The fact that so many of our great national moments, whether it's, you know, the Gettysburg Address or Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech or whatever, are framed in the language of religion and and often Christianity. So um, there's a way in which it's so important to our national tradition, but it's also kind of everywhere. 
Um, and, and that, I think, allows Americans to sort of take religious faith on a sort of a casual basis. In a lot of, and that's what I hear Dwight Eisenhower saying, is, is that we need this sort of veneer of religion, but that what you actually believe doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. to, to an Eisenhower, doesn't really matter that much, which, again, for Christians, you said, well, now, wait a minute, the details matter <laughs> so much. I mean, you know, we have specific beliefs that our lives hinge on. And so I, I think for Christians, it's a place where you can see how American civil religion, um, you know, we can respect it and participate in it and, you know, stand up for the Pledge of Allegiance and the national anthem and so forth, but it's not really satisfying kind of religion, saving religion per se. Thomas, compare and contrast that then, what we know about America with, like, let's look at Great Britain. So, you know, the Anglican Church is the state church there. I was just watching an episode of The Crown yesterday, and uh, it was one of the episodes from the first season. And uh, when Queen Elizabeth's father dies and she assumes the the throne, her grandmother says to her, now don't worry about letting the British people down. Worry about letting God down. Mm -hmm. I thought... Holy so that's a whole different type of understanding of the of the of the sacred and secular being combined in a state sense. Yeah, and and I think when you compare it that way, I think America does come off uh, better in terms of a genuine voluntary kind of religious commitment. Um, you, you see that a little bit, I think, in the in a later episode when when the Queen meets Billy Graham. Uh, and Graham is put, presented very favorably, I thought, in in uh, in the Crown. Yes. And and you know, in the uh, you have still today, the Church of England is the official state church in Britain, and you know, tax money goes to it. So there's not that t- separation of church and state. Um, but attendance at Church of England churches in in England is is just bottom of the barrel. I mean, there's nobody there. Mm. Um, and so I think that the fact the fact that we do have this sort of dose of secularism, in the sense that religion in America is is fundamentally voluntary, uh, I think that that is, that has helped us to have a more thriving religious culture mm-hmm. than uh, England. And it is voluntary, but every president, or especially presidential candidate, but every president, whether it's Bill Clinton, like you talk, or Barack Obama, or the current occupant of the White House, President Trump, they all try to put their religious stamp, one form or another, on the country. Oh, for sure. And you, you've got to be uh, good at this, or else you really can't make a successful run at, at being president. Um, and, and even though some presidents are pretty clunky about it, uh, you, you've you've got to try to, especially in big speeches and uh, you know memorial occasions, uh, you know 9/11 observances, uh, which which you know one of President Obama's best speeches ever was on uh, the anniversary of 9/11, and you know just quoted directly from the Psalms and so forth. And I know he gets a lot of criticism about these things, but he was really good at at sort of that expression of American civil religion. So it's not. A Democratic or a Republican thing. I mean, it's just what political leaders in America have to do. But sometimes, especially in the case of people like Dwight Eisenhower, I think it's you, you know you, you scratch the surface and you realize there's just not that much there. Okay, last question for you, and we only have a minute left. So the the Trump phenomenon isn't that unusual then? Well, I think that that Trump is. Um, you know, not good at talking about religion, for sure. Um, 
Uh, but he, I mean, he will circle back all the time to things like, uh, we're going to talk about Merry Christmas again. We're going to say Merry Christmas. And that's his sort of contribution to American civil religion. And I think a lot of people in America just really appreciate that kind of public expression of something that they perceive it used to be just normal behavior. Merry Christmas. And so that's his contribution to the mix. All right, Thomas. Well, thanks an awful lot. It's always a pleasure. We appreciate it. It's a very unique take that you have on politics and history from where you are at Baylor University. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me, guys. Dr. Thomas Kidd, his latest Benjamin Franklin, The Religious Life of a Founding Father from Baylor University. Dr. Thomas Kidd. The Pittsburgh North Regional Chamber, along with St. Barnabas Health System, proudly presents the next session in their educational series, Innovation Pittsburgh, Friday, September 21st from 8 to 11.30 a.m. at the Washington Place of St. Barnabas Health System in Gibsonia. Join host former Allegheny County Executive James Roddy and explore what great opportunities are in store for America's most livable city, featuring a panel of the region's leading entrepreneurial experts. For tickets and information, visit pghnorthchamber.com. At Extreme Car and Truck in Bridgeville, find extreme accessories for all your dirty jobs, like hauling landscape supplies. Protect your vehicle with spray-on bed liners, tonneau covers, WeatherTech floor liners, and more. Say goodbye to dirt and grime inside and out with extreme detailing. Plus, lift kits, electronics, and remote starters, always a favorite. Extreme Car and Truck in Bridgeville, for the extreme in all of us. At ExtremeTruck.net. Join Pittsburgh Theological Seminary on Tuesday, October 2nd at 4 p.m. for their annual McClure Lecture in World Mission and Evangelism. This year's lecture will feature Emory University professor and author G. Hugh Hansiles. Dr. Hansiles' free lecture, Christian Unity and Witness in a New Age of Migration, will be held on the campus of Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, 616 North Highland Avenue in East Liberty. Learn more at pts.edu. Welcome back. I mean, I, I was speaking in complete sentences. I just came in a little weird. Well, listen, last night, Paul Simon at the PPG Paint. Oh, the farewell tour. Oh, man. How Holy, was it? It was everything as advertised. Really? And then more. Really? Seriously. This guy, I mean, I, I'm a, I've been a fan forever, like I said yesterday. Uh, you and Mike, nah. uh, no. I mean, I like Graceland forward, but I don't like the old stuff. That's a shame. Because he played a lot of the old stuff. Seriously, uh, the, the show started about 5 after 8 or so. And it wasn't really until about 9.45 did he sort of leave this sort of I – won't, I won't say it. No, it was more soul-searching. And mm. it was kind of – I mean, it was so self-reflective. And he was so open and so kind and so generous. I mean, I just loved it so much. The hits came, but early on, he kind of was way back in the catalog and kind of winding around by himself. It was a fabulous night. I mean, there were three encores, a total of nine songs over three encores, multiple standing ovations. It was a big love fest. Good for him. I, That's wonderful. Oh, man, okay. what a show. Highlights? Do you have any particular moments or songs? Or Yeah, well, so uh, Paul Simon just released a new album last week. 
Um, I think it's called uh, Into the Blue Light, something about the blue light. And what he did was he took some songs, maybe 10 or 11 songs, and recreated them. But there were a couple of songs where he brought on a string quartet. I think I sent you one of them. He brought on a string quartet, and he opened this thing up. And so there's this tight circle of a couple of violinists, somebody on an oboe, somebody on a cello, somebody playing a little sort of like penny whistle, and then him standing in the middle and just kind of singing, but not singing, but telling a story. It was absolutely fabulous. Wow. That was the highlight of the night for me. But it, so many highlights. I wish I could watch the whole thing on videotape mm-hmm. again. Maybe somebody has, uh, had They'll do it. that. I'm sure they'll do oh, that. What a show. It's 77. It's an American master. And I think he's unrivaled. Who, who else is out there? Ira Gershwin, maybe? Someone who I would say is definitively American as a songwriter. Paul Simon. Great show last night. WORDFM, Pittsburgh, a service of Salem Media Group. With SRN News, I'm Keith Peters in Washington. President Trump says he feels terribly for Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh, who's facing an allegation of sexual misconduct from his teen years. The president told a White House news conference that Kavanaugh deserves better treatment than he's receiving. I feel so badly for him that he's going through this, to be honest with you. I feel so badly for him. This is not a man that deserves this. And he blamed Democrats for waiting until the last minute to raise their concerns. Why didn't the Democrats bring it up then? Because they obstruct and because they resist. That's the name of their campaign against me. Mr. Trump said he hopes a public Senate hearing will take place so we can hear both sides. Greg Clugston, the White House. A recovery for Wall Street today as the Dow was up by 184 points to close at 26,247. The Nasdaq rising by 63 points, the S&P advancing by 15, oil up to 69.85 a barrel. This is SRN News. Pumpkins, 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 and more pumpkins. Pumpkins are what the Springhouse is thinking about this time of year. Hi, it's me, Marcia, from the Springhouse, and we love sharing our farm with you during this beautiful time of year. We've got all kinds of fun planned for you and your family to be able to spend the whole day on our farm. Pumpkin patch hay rides, a petting zoo, giant square bale stack and pipes for sliding, a hay maze and a corn maze, pumpkin picking right out of the field, old time games under a tent up on the hill, and lots more. And when you get hungry, of course, we have great eats inside, too, with lots of pumpkin creations. Pumpkin pie, pumpkin cookies, pumpkin bread, pumpkin custard, and even pumpkin black bean chili. Every October Saturday features a family-friendly meal, and October Sundays feature our 4-H hog roast with all the fixins. Plan to spend a memory-making day on the farm at the Springhouse in 84 PA, 724-228-3339 or springhousemarket.com. Great experiences are meant to be shared. How about the experience of a great night's sleep? This is John Hall, and I've been sharing with you about my pillow for a long time. It's truly the most comfortable pillow I've ever owned. It's machine washable, dryable, never loses its shape, and it gives me the support I need no matter what position I'm in. And it comes with Mike Lindell's famous 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. Once you experience my pillow, I'm sure that you'll love it too. And you're going to want to share that great experience with somebody else, which is great because right now you can get two my pillows for the price of one with Mike's buy one, get one free deal. Just call 1-800-961-9207. Mention the promo code word to start enjoying the best sleep of your life. 
or type it in when you visit MyPillow.com. So don't delay. That's 1-800-961-9207. Or visit MyPillow.com. Use the promo code WORD. You know, they say the best is yet to come. But to make that true for your retirement, you need a plan. Well, start by tuning in for Your Retirement Blueprint with Kurt Kenotic and Ethan Lane with Accurate Solutions Group every Saturday morning at 10. Kurt and Ethan can help simplify the retirement planning process. No technical terms or calculations, no product pushing, just the information you need for retirement. Don't miss Your Retirement Blueprint with Kurt Kenotic and Ethan Lane of Accurate Solutions Group every Saturday morning at 10 right here on 101.5 Word FM. Hey, this is John Hall. This Friday, Kath and I hit the books as The Ride Home broadcasts live from Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. It's the grand reopening of the newly renovated Barber Library, the largest standalone theological library east of the Mississippi. Stop by from 4 to 6, enjoy coffee at the cafe, and see all this fantastic local resource has to offer, including the new Fred Rogers Family Room. You'll be over the moon. Speaking of which, Andy Masick from the History Museum will join us to talk about the upcoming Apollo 11 exhibit. This Friday from 4 to 6 on The Ride Home with John and Kathy. Partly cloudy tonight with areas of fog developing later on, low 62. Tomorrow, patchy morning fog, otherwise partly sunny with a delightful afternoon, high 81. Tomorrow night, mainly clear and mild, patchy fog later on, low 64. Thursday, patchy morning fog, otherwise sunny to partly cloudy and warm with a high of 85. I'm AccuWeather Meteorologist Bill Skladenkis on 101.5 Word FM. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home on 101.5 Word FM. And now here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Hey, good afternoon. Welcome to Tuesday edition of The Ride Home. Uh, there's a lot going on in this country. The Brett Kavanaugh hearings, which have now been pushed down the road because of sexual allegations when he was a young man. What's going to happen in D.C.? Maybe Monday there'll be additional hearings with the accuser. I mean, it's high drama. It this is, is high sort of drama. A, the hashtag Me Too with an exclamation point on the nation's capital, red state, blue state, President Trump, all those things combined. We live in crazy times. We're going to continue our conversation about the Brett Kavanaugh hearings at 535 mm-hmm. this hour. We're so happy you're with us. Um, but before then, you already mentioned your review of last night's Paul Simon concert. It sounds, Excellent show. It sounds Fabulous. wonderful. I'm so glad you went. I'm so Fine, glad you had a good time. Um, New Mike and I, because we're not Paul Simon fans, chose not to go. We decided... <laughs> To stay home. I mean, at our respective houses. It's not like New Mike and I live together. And both watch the Emmys. Oh. That's horrible. (laughs) Why would you do that? You know it's going to be despairing. All you do, you're going to have your eyes roll out of your head. All these crazy leftist politics. Yes, yes, and yes. Okay, so Mike, um, you know we haven't talked about this yet, you and I. Um, I found the uh, the telecast last night completely unfunny. You? Oh uh, yes, definitely. It was terribly unfunny. Wait, in a room full of writers for television, and it was it no was, one was funny. Who's the guy who runs Saturday Night Live? Who produces it? Lauren Michaels. Lauren Michaels. Yeah, he was the one who produced last night's show. Nobody was funny. The two uh, guys who do the Weekend Update oh, on yeah, sure. SNL were Michael the Che. There, I'm telling you, I did not laugh a single time. Really? During the they did like a fake week. Oh, the no, fake. I didn't. No, did I didn't. See, I didn't see the monologue at the beginning. Because I turned it on late. Who was the host? I missed it as well. But the they, two guys. The two guys. Oh, they were the hosts. Yeah, they were the hosts. But they looked unenthused the whole time. 
Huh. The whole time. Well, you think, you know, you're hosting the Emmys. Like you'd be straight like, faced. Thrilled. How about that dumb thing they went to with the girl and the guy? You know, they kept go, going to that, you know, where they were like trying to explain what the Emmy Award was. Oh, yeah. Oh, that so, was so stupid. So was it SNL doing the Emmys? It was Lauren kind of, Michaels, yeah, producer. it was SNL yeah. doing yep. the Emmys. It oh, was, well, SNL's been funny for a long time. Well, it wasn't funny last night. The weird night. thing is, that at the end of the night, they did like a special thank you. Yeah. <laughs> the first two people, the first one was named Beyonce. Thank you. A special thank you to Beyonce and Bill Clinton. What the heck? What was that about? I have what no idea what that, that about? I seriously have no idea what that means. Maybe just for comedy material? What, maybe they were just saying Maybe that? money? I, Did I that make no you idea. laugh? No. no See, no, that's no, what no, I mean. Nothing no. made me laugh. Nothing was, at all. So is it is it because award shows have become podiums for political, what, horror that we've lost all the humor? I think so. I think we're, we take ourselves so seriously and we believe that we're living in such important times. Mm-hmm. That all of a sudden we, we have, have to, to get our message across. Exactly. I think that's what it is. And then we're just we're so profoundly haughty and unlikable. Mm, that's rough. I think that's what it is. So, okay, so this is the beginning. I, I would call it the beginning of the award season, right? Because the Emmys and then all these different The Golden ch- Globes, the Academy Awards will be in March. Yeah. Right. Right, everything's the Tony Awards, Was all there, that. Okay, so um, the Tonys aren't political like this. I mean, the Tonys people are just dancing and singing, right? The Tonys. Are, well, you haven't watched the Tonys then. If you haven't, the Tonys are absolutely. Political. Are they really the same thing? Oh, yes. Are you kidding? I was hoping me? they were like show tunes. How could you mess that up? Even worse than the Emmys. What? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm thinking they're good, like doing Oklahoma. Revival. Oh, we are. Oh, we're way, we're way far from Shirley Jones. Oh. oh no. Now we're, t- we're because we can't be. We can't sing sorry with the fringe on top because we're living in such important times. Mm. We have to get our message across. Oh my god. Anyway, um, was there any highlights? Only one. From and last Emmy. I have to tell you, it was a great highlight. So, Mike, hit it. Um, she's in me, and she always will be. Mom always believed in finding the sunshine in things, and she adored my girlfriend, Jan. Jan, you are the sunshine in my life. And Mom was right. Don't ever let go of your sunshine. You wonder why I don't like to call you my girlfriend? Because I want to call you my wife. This is Glenn Weiss, right? And who's Glenn Weiss? He's the man who won the Emmy for producing the Oscars this year. I see. Okay. So this is him giving an award or? This is him getting an award. Oh, fabulous. So this is his speech. He's just proposed to his girlfriend, essentially, although he really hasn't proposed. Yeah. I didn't ask yet. Oh, there he is. I didn't ask yet. She's making her way up on stage. I mean, she <laughs> looks like in tears. She looks so shocked. Of course, it's millions of people on live this television. This is the ring that my dad put on my mom's finger 65, 67 years ago. And to my sisters and brothers, I didn't swipe it. Dad knows I have it, okay? <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny. Jan, I want to put this ring that my mom wore on your finger in front of all these people and in front of my mom and your parents watching from above. Will you marry me? He got down on one knee. Oh, that is great. She said yes. What a great moment. She said yes. Okay, now here's the weird thing. In this supposedly enlightened, progressive era that we live in, 
people are still rooting for love and for marriage, traditional marriage between a man and woman. I thought the same thing. Mike, did you think that? I I thought to myself, this is the most conservative moment of the whole evening. And it's the only thing other than Betty White, which brought everyone to their feet. Hmm. And I got to be honest. I mean, I was so cynical about the Emmys. I teared up watching it because it was so lovely. Yeah. It was absolutely lovely. Glenn Weiss, and it was not for producing, it was for directing the Oscars that he received an Emmy last night. It was just such a human moment, and it was really heartfelt and lovely. And I thought, you know, this should tell us as viewers something about the people in that room, that even though they profess every progressive value in the world, every anti-establishment value in the world, at heart... Love still wins. Love still wins. That's what we want. Yeah. We want that. We want that commitment. I mean, he could have said, I love my girlfriend and I'm going to cohabitate with her and sleep in the same bed with her for the next 30 years and it'll be a dream come true. But he didn't say that. He said, I I don't want to call you my girlfriend. I want to call you my wife. And he said his parents were in heaven. Right. Her parents. His mom and her parents. Yeah. Fabulous! Yeah, what a great night! It was a re- that was worth watching, and oh, at, yeah. you know I was a little behind because I was watching DVR. Yeah. New Mike texts me in all capital letter, oh, don't do that, letters. Mike. You gotta Are you watching the Emmys right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have to. <laughs> and I said, wait a minute, I'm getting there. No, anything <laughs> that's alive, <laughs> any Steeler game, any Oscar thing, you've got to leave Kath out of the conversation <laughs> because otherwise it's just you know. At least I wasn't live tweeting behind. <laughs> I've done that in the past. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that was a one beautiful bright spot of last night's Emmys. Very nice. Uh, we're going to talk in just a few minutes. It's an odd little subject. Why are all my friendships so shallow? Well, you look at me when you say that. Oh, no. Maybe That's we next. should go deeper. Friendships. WORD. Your story of faith and spiritual growth is an important one. Here at Word FM, we're interested in hearing how this station has made a direct and positive impact on your life. It's our wish that what you hear from us positively affects you and your family, and we would love for you to tell us about it. Visit WordFM.com using the keyword story. Record a video message and share your story with us. For doing that, you'll be eligible to win a grand prize of an Apple iPad Pro and an Apple Pencil. Visit WordFM.com and use the keyword story for details and to share your video. Obamacare, Trump Care, ACA, COBRA, there are so many choices, but I'll bring one word to mind. Expensive. There are lots of changes happening in healthcare today. Fortunately, I know someone that has been on the forefront of health insurance for years. Todd Marley at Marley Financial. Todd and his team of professionals are licensed with virtually every healthcare provider in the country. They help determine which plan is right for you and then expertly help you choose the best plan for your needs and do so prudently. Don't need maternity coverage? Call Marley Financial. Have pre-existing conditions? Call Marley Financial. Want just catastrophic or just accident? You know the answer. Worried about the penalty? Marley Financial plans are all penalty exempt. Because they know how to design the plans, most of their clients save 30 to 60%, which can add up to several thousand a year. Call Todd at Marley Financial, 724-884-1496. That's 724-884-1496 and on the web at MarleyFG. 
Com. If you had to replace everything in your fridge today, how much would it cost? For a restaurant or church, that could mean thousands in lost product and downtime. That's when you call Ventec Refrigeration. When your walk-in goes down, Ventec can be there in less than two hours with portable units to save valuable product, and they'll even move it for you while repairs are made with flat-rate pricing instead of hourly fees. A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau. Keep your cool with Ventec Refrigeration. 412-793-0661. Hi, everybody. This is Craig Wolfley from my friends at J&D Waterproofing. For every waterproofing or foundation repair, a portion of the proceeds go to the Light of Life Rescue Mission or the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Hello, this is Ralph Sindrich. I'm proud to be a part of this program and such a fine service to be offered to the community. For every job commitment, I'll provide a signed copy of my book, NFL Brawl. Call for a free estimate at 1-800-VERY-DRY. That's 1-800-VERY-DRY. Or visit us on the web at jdwaterproofing.com. People look at me like I'm crazy when I say to them, I had a great time this morning with my dentist. The reviews are in and patients are raving about Dr. Megan Stock. She's just wonderful and it's such a joy to go in there and they look at you like it's a joy to go to the dentist. I said, well, you don't know my dentist and you should switch over. We just love to talk about the Lord and what's going on in our families. It's a wonderful experience and she does fabulous work. Perry Highway in Wexford at StockFamilyDentistry.com. Guys, we need to remind ourselves that the God of the Bible is not silent. Word FM presents Know the Truths, Philip DeCourcy at the 2018 Pastor Appreciation Luncheon. God has spoken and he has spoken through his word and it's inspired and it's inerrant and it's authoritative and it's breathed out and it's able to make us wise unto salvation. It's able to make us complete and it's able to equip us unto every good work. A free event for pastors, October 3rd at Heinz Field. RSVP now at wordfm.com slash pal. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for being with us. Do you have any friendships where it's not real deep? It's mostly, you know, you get together and you talk movies or... Award shows, what, like, <laughs> like we what, just like, did, like the three of us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and you don't, you know, you don't share, you know, intimacy about, uh, I, I don't know, you know, stuff in life, the the stew that really makes life life. Is it all surfacy? I don't you, have time for that anymore. Why you don't? Mm-mm. You, I know you. I know that you've got many. You've got many good friendships. No, I'm saying I don't have time for them if they're not good. Oh yeah. Do you know what I mean? If we're if we're not going to talk about important things, then what's the point? I've really gotten to that well, over no, the really? I mean, over no. the years. I have gotten to the point where if I'm not saying that every conversation has to be like a remarkably huge import, but if we're not actually like honest with each other and caring about each other and really like telling the honest truth, have you backed away from friendships because of that? Oh yeah, for sure. Especially over the last five years. <laughs> That's why. I've done the same thing. I mean, I don't know. Is it, an, is it an age thing? I don't know. I think it also has to do with our particular job is time-consuming and demanding. And I just don't have a lot of free time that I can just, you know, hash over, I don't know, talk about, you know, clothes with somebody or something. Okay. Plus, right. I just don't want to do that. I just feel like life is too important to not invest in other people that I really have a commonality with and I'm really interested in, 
you know, going that extra mile for. Catherine Parks is with us. Catherine is the author of Real, The Surprising Secrets to Deeper Relationships. Catherine's also a Bible teacher. She wrote a piece that was picked up um, by Relevant Magazine. Uh, Why Are All My Friendships So Shallow, which is from the book Real. Catherine, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So, Catherine, you've experienced both kinds of friendships, right? The kind of friendships where you're going to get together and talk about clothes or the kind of friendships where you recognize something deep and abiding in the other person. Absolutely. And even hearing you talk, I think once you've tasted the second, it's hard to go back to the first. Once you've had those deep relationships, you don't really want to have time for the other stuff. So it's how do we get people from A to B, you know, to dive into those relationships. But, you know, the thing is, I don't know if this is just a guy thing or not, but some relationships, I think especially for guys, are built around, you know, just kind of hanging out, sports and, you know, just doing guy stuff stupid as it sounds but i believe that there's a lot of weight to that I, and maybe that's just you know the fa- you know the, the 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 shallowness of men i don't know but you know a lot of guys are content to do that yeah well i think there's um i think there's definitely a place for that i mean and and kind of what y'all were saying even before to jump straight from hi how are you to yeah oh tell me all of your deepest darkest secrets is not really appropriate probably uh and i think you know I don't know who came up with this, but I know my husband and I have talked before about men kind of um, that they bond when they're looking at something else, you know, when they're involved in something else, whether it's watching sports or playing a video game or something. And women, it's face to face. Um, And so I think sometimes, you know, that stuff you're talking about, I think a lot of the time that is a man thing, but that that is kind of the path to deeper relationships or to having someone that you're comfortable with, um, someone you can go to and talk about more important things. Yeah. So I think it was last year, um, the country of England appointed a, um, a, lo- a director of loneliness or the Ministry of Loneliness. Yeah, Minister so that, of Loneliness. Right. And yeah. so it, it speaks to the isolation that all of us suffer in our so-called... And that, it, that it's so profound that someone that high up in governmental service recognized that this had, you know, this had to happen. Right. I mean, th- I mean, it really is fabulous that they would do something like that. So, so talk about that, Catherine, that we are all living lives of isolation, even though we're surrounded by social media and all that, you know, crazy friendships that goes along with that. Yeah, well, I think what the United Kingdom did there is recognize, you know, these studies that have been done that show the great risk to health of isolation and loneliness, that it's um, uh, it's an equal with the risks of obesity, which Mm. is really shocking, but we're not meant to live alone. And I think this points to creation to God's design for us, that we are meant to live in community. I mean, we see that with Adam and Eve. Adam was alone, and God said it's not good for the man to be alone. And so he brought him, you know, a companion and a helper and someone to live with him. And that's God's plan all throughout is not only for us to have fellowship with each other, but for us to have fellowship with God. And I think, um, you know, I, I don't know exactly how all of this has happened, But I think you see this even with some of the studies coming out with teenagers, that they don't hang out anymore, that they're in their rooms on their phones. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of this fake um, communion that we're creating. It's a replacement for the real thing. And uh, 
Snapchatting is not exactly the same thing as sitting down and um, really knowing each other because we can put filters in our lives, you know, literal filters, but also kind of metaphorical filters where we show what we want to show. And that's not the same as being really who we are with someone else. Because let's be honest. I mean, if I'm going to post something on Facebook, for the most part, I'm going to post something where I'm looking the best I can look. You know, I'm going to be saying a story about me. You know, I'm not, we're all putting our best foot forward when we're in public. And so this type of social media communication is just us doing that in either a, you know, a statement format or a photograph format or whatever it is. And it's just not consistent with actual life. I mean, I, I, hopefully that's something that we all recognize when we go on social media because sure. we've had it for a while. I think the first five years or so on social media, I think people really succumb to thinking, wait, does everybody's life end up being perfect except mine? So pretty, yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and the thing about that is that even now that we recognize it, I think that creates a kind of a sensation of shallowness or emptiness to those relationships where we all know this isn't who I really am. This isn't who they really are, but we're still on there. We're still doing it. But have we moved so far away from actually having someone who knows who we really are? Yeah. Okay. So so just as as sort of a side trail here, I went to see, I went to a show last night, I went to a concert and after, and and I loved it so much. And I thought, well, I'm going to post about that. And I thought, oh, don't post about that. Just keep things private for a while. Would you please don't go like blaring it. But I, I I thought the same thing when I was at, when I was at the conference last week, I was going to post something and I was like, oh, you can't keep a thought to yourself. Like, just shut up. Yeah. But however, (laughs) what, so I think of this and I look at my Facebook feed now and you know, when you go back in your memories, to me, it's become like sort of a matter of public record that, you know. Yes, I did this then. Right. When I'm 77, I want to scroll back and go, remember 2018? That was a good year, John. (laughs) (laughs) That was the year we... I I think you're right. Well, I was just thinking today about, I've been reading a lot of biographies, and I'm like, is this what biographers, you know, 100 years from now are going to pull on? Because nobody's journaling or writing their diary anymore. No one's writing letters. We're just posting status (laughs) updates. (laughs) Yeah, right. Horrible. Well, you know what's even sicker? I feel like my journal entries are basically just going back through my calendar in mm. my phone, right? I go back and say, oh, well, last Wednesday I did this. Last Tuesday I did this. I mean, that's even more stale than Facebook. Okay. So not only are our friendships becoming more shallow, we as a species are. <laughs> I think that's true. <laughs> this is so depressing. This is horrible, Catherine. Oh, boy, I'm telling you, Catherine came on the show and then everything got dark. All right. But Catherine, the, the point, though, is that we need need to be looking for things that are deeper and better. And it's not like they don't exist, but sometimes it's really hard for people to end up in a situation, whether they're new in a city or they've been in a city for a while, for a while and they just haven't been able to connect to find a place where they can look for people who have, you know, a similar perspective and someone who could actually turn into a friend. And that's church. That should be church, right? Yeah, I was at a women's retreat this weekend um, for the women in my church, and there was a new girl who just moved to Nashville, where I live, about a month ago. She didn't really know anybody, and she was just like, okay, this is where I want to go to get to know people. So she came to the women's retreat and dove in right away to having these conversations, and, and we had a conversation about that. Like, what do you do? If you don't have the church, where does that community come from? And it's just a lot harder, I think. But ideally, the church is a place where um, we feel welcomed immediately and where people invite us into being known. You know, I think the art of asking questions is so valuable. And it's something that I'm trying to grow in to really 
know someone to invite them to open up um, even about their background and their lives. And I think it's something obviously we share about ourselves all the time on social media, but how much do we actually get the opportunity to be asked questions and to open up with someone? That's good. Okay. So then how do you do that? I mean, everybody, everybody I think is longing for that relationship. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know if church is the perfect incubator either, because how many people go to church and just kind of, you know, go in and split and church is awkward and weird as well. Right. And sometimes if you're committed to a church, you can become discouraged over time if you haven't really found a friend there. I mean, we've had conversations on the air, Catherine, where we've opened up the phones and all sorts of people call and talk about how they go to a church every week, but they just don't feel like they're known by anybody mm-hmm. there. And that's a really painful part of life to be in. It's a hard stage. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is a common, you know, it's way more common than I probably even realized. But um, one of the things that I've found is that sometimes we're waiting for someone to do something and we need to be the ones to just take that step. Yeah, that's good. Because there's probably someone else who's waiting for that too. And um, I was not the person who took that step, but I had a good friend who we started hanging out. And every time we did, she would ask me, how's your heart? Which was super awkward for me. And I would just kind of say, oh, things are good. And, you know, she would ask about my marriage. She would ask about my kids. And I I just didn't know what to say. But what? Ha- and then she would open up and tell me, you know, all of these things. And what happened is that every time we were going to hang out, I prepared because I knew she was going to ask me. And so I started thinking, well, how am I doing? And then I started praying and asking the Lord to show me how I was really doing, which was just this very weird byproduct of these conversations. And um, it caused me to examine my own heart and to confess sin before the Lord. And then when we got together, we started talking. But she was the one to go first. And had she not done that, I would never have opened Hmm. up. And I probably wouldn't have even seen the sin that I was struggling with that I didn't realize. So she was willing to be awkward and it led to so much joy and fellowship as a result. That's fascinating. So that question, so how's your heart, as stilted as that sounds, it really made a change in your life and your relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I think there are lots of versions of that. But, you know, I'm part of a women's Bible study, and it's very small. There are only a few of us. But we do this thing every week where we... Um, one of us will share, like, what are your struggles? What are the things that are going on in your life? And then the person next to her will immediately pray for her. And the idea is, like, we're not trying to do self-help. We're not trying to fix it or give tips. Like, there's a place for that. But in this moment, we're confessing and opening up and having a sister fight the battle with us by praying for us. And we kind of had to create that and and put it into our study time because we were never going to do it just naturally. You know, it's not something necessarily organic. You really do kind of have to force it. But that's the thing that all of us look forward to the most. That's excellent. So it's not self-help. It's not tips. It's transparency, confession, and then prayer. Absolutely. Yeah. Catherine Parks has been with us, author of Real, The Surprising Secret to Deeper Relationships. Catherine, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, the pleasure's ours. Fascinating, isn't it? Uh, friendships as a form of community and then confession and then drawing closer to the Lord. 
Life in Haiti is a daily struggle for survival. For Mary Lude, prayer is the only thing that gets her through. She, her husband, and six children live in a small metal shack. It's so small that even her teenage kids have to crawl to get inside. They never eat two days in a row. Usually it's more like two or three days between meals of rice or cornmeal. She has to send her older children to get water, an hour walk up a mountain. They have to do it several times a day, so there's no way they can go to school. The hopelessness of their situation is evident in her eyes. But today there is hope. Your gift through Food for the Poor can make a difference. For just $27 a month for the next year, you can feed most of her family and give them water for life. A $320 one-time gift will give food for a year and water for life to a family of four in Haiti. Will you help Mary Lude and her family? 855-828-4673. 855-828-4673. You can give online at wordfm.com or dial pound 250 on your cell phone and say, I want to give. I just saved hundreds of dollars by switching to Geico. I've never felt more alive. Disclaimer, Geico cannot guarantee you will feel more alive. You either possess functioning respiratory and circulatory systems, or you do not, or you are a zombie. If you are indeed a brain-starved zombie and you would like to save money on car insurance, the Geico legal team applauds your excellent life choices, even in your shambling afterlife. But we strongly encourage you to visit Geico.com or download the Geico app. Please stay a minimum of 500 feet away from our large and presumably delicious, delicious brains. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. My name is Marla, and I am a teacher in a local public school system. My husband and I heard about brain balance. We were a bit skeptical, of course, but we didn't know what to do. When we went to Brain Balance, they got it. They listened to us from day one. They were asking me questions that our medical provider was not asking us. And this is going to get us somewhere in one place instead of I'm going to have to run to 15 different spots. About four weeks into the Brain Balance program, my kid could sit on the couch and just breathe. The teachers immediately started noticing that our kids were calmer. As a teacher and a mom, I would say this is one of the most amazing programs I have seen for children. Our lives right now have dramatically changed because of brain balance. My kids, in their own individual ways, received the help that they needed that moved them to a place of balance and harmony. Give your child the foundation they need to succeed in school. Call Brain Balance today and find out how you can change the life of your child and your family. For more information, visit brainbalance.com. What are you doing to enhance your marriage? We want to be on the same page. Even when that gets tough. Family Life's Weekend to Remember. It was one of, like, the best weekends ever. We just want to soak in all this knowledge. It's fun and practical. The weekend's coming to the Pittsburgh Marriott North November 2nd and the 9th. Just do it because you're going to get something good out of this. Wow, this is really making a difference. Take your marriage from good to great. Visit WeekendToRemember.com. Partly cloudy tonight with areas of fog developing later on, low 62. Tomorrow, patchy morning fog, otherwise partly sunny with a delightful afternoon, high 81. Tomorrow night, mainly clear and mild, patchy fog later on, low 64. Thursday, patchy morning fog, otherwise sunny to partly cloudy and warm with a high of 85. I'm AccuWeather Meteorologist Bill Skladenkis on 101.5 Word FM. That is the theme music, this is, for a video game called Fortnite. Now, I have two teenage sons, so this game is well known in our house. 
I think by definition, it's uh, what, what the first. What do they call it? First action, first person shooter game. And my kids are wearing headsets, and they're talking to a team of attackers, other friends who they've assembled as they parachute out of the sky, and then they go and try to find this sort of goal, but you meet other teams that are coming upon you, and then there's a battle going out. Generally, there's one person who survives all the chaos. And I've been in the close vicinity when both of my teenage sons have been that one person. And the, the shrieks of delight are like anything, unlike anything that I've ever heard come out of their what? mouths. The first time it happened, I was like, uh, to hear this joy out of my 18-year-old son's mouth, it took me by surprise. I mean, I had never, like I said, never heard anything like it before. It was laughter and giddiness and surprise and delight and joy tumbling out of him. It was a, it was like Christmas morning 10,000 times. It's <laughs> turning into a poem. Was it, Mike? Wait, no, wait. Okay, so Mike, uh, I have never played Fortnite. I have no I have never played Fortnite, Mike. Have you have you played it? No, never. You've never played no. it. Now that surprises me because a good friend of ours plays Fortnite with his sons. Mm-hmm. But we've we're talking about this because there's a news reports now from about- Fortune magazine that Fortnite isn't just a video game, but it's a relationship killer because according to Divorce Online which I have to tell you is an organization of which with which I'm unfamiliar. Stay far from. Uh, the video game Fortnite Battle Royale has been cited in at least 200 divorce petitions filed through the site since January. That's about five percent of the divorce petitions the website received in the same period. Because of the video 5% game Fortnite, five percent of all the divorce petitions say the reason they're getting divorced is. Fortnite Battle Royale. Now, clearly, Fortnite is not the cause of the divorce. They're saying that it is the cause of their divorce. Well, it's not. I mean, you know, it's... Well, well listen, I, I don't know how you know. relationship I don't think or you... video game addiction or something else. It's not the game I'm itself. just going with the evidence that's here, John. Yeah. Spouses aren't the only ones with a gripe against the game, according to Fortune magazine. It's caused problems in schools and even for professional sports teams. But the school marmish scolding doesn't seem to be slowing interest in the game. Mm. In July, the free-to-access game passed the billion-dollar threshold through in-game sales alone. Some colleges are even starting to offer scholarships to top players. Why, why would any school do that? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Divorce Online says it's one of the largest filers of divorce petitions in the UK and therefore claims its numbers are a pretty good indication of the divorce market at large. A spokesperson compared the incidence of Fortnite as a cause for divorce to other addictions. Hmm. Addiction to drugs, alcohol, and gambling have often been cited as reasons for relationship breakdown. But the dawn of the digital revolution has introduced new addictions, including online pornography, online gaming, and social media. Mm-hmm. Okay, so again, I'll just use my own kids. I'll see them, like we'll be, we'll be someplace together, and they'll go, are we going to go home soon? And I'll, Yeah, we'll be home and so then when we get home, you can feel the thickness in the air of anticipation before they can socially acceptably step away from the family unit and then go into their, in their really? little enclaves so they can 
grab hold of the controllers and transport themselves elsewhere. I, I've seen it. I don't get that. It's very addictive. I don't get. I believe that. I don't get. Do you? Are you a gamer at all, Mike? I used to be. I don't have time to be a gamer now. Yeah, you're dead. Yeah. Yeah, you're a husband now, and a dad. It, but it, I can. You know that feeling, I can don't you? Totally understand that feeling. It, it. When I was in college, there was a game called World of Warcraft. Oh yeah, sure. And it totally consumed my my sophomore year. Really, I failed a class because of that stupid N- game. No what? way, is that yeah. right? I um, <laughs> I got hooked on it one night, and um, I lost track of time, and I missed my final. Oh my gosh! I missed my final because of the stupid game. Because you were so hour after hour after hour after hour. I realized I was playing eight hours straight, and I just lost track of time. Well, welcome wow. back to the world, Mike. It, yeah. It's nice to be back in reality. We're Holy so smokes. happy you've joined us, Mike. Thank so you. we laugh about this, but obviously there's a deep threat there, of tragedy. There here. was actually a kid that a, that died playing a game like that, World of Warcraft. He played like 14 hours straight. Oh, or something I think like that's that, pretty common, right? Or something crazy like people that. People go into you, video game comas. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty common thing. That's it a pretty is, common thing. It's a pretty common thing. It is. I mean, I, I'm sure I can't, I can't if you approach any kid and talked in their circles, the kid, I mean, any, you know, any gamer, it's a pretty common story that you just cannot step away. And so you're, I mean, listen, I was about to point the hour. finger until I realized that I think I've watched seven Jack Ryan yeah. episodes, like okay. right in a row. On mirror.co.uk, yeah. the tra- tragic teen gamer dies after playing computer for 22 days in a row. 22 days. Who's who's checking in with this kid? What Obviously I, nobody. Yeah. Okay. But I but I need to stop watching Jack Ryan. Too. Please do again. Go talk to someone. Someone. Do you think you're getting a price hold, but really you're signing up for Windows? And if you don't cancel within three days, you're obligated to that contract. Energy Swing Windows Donnie Dara on the length some companies will go to get your business. What some salesmen from national companies are doing is they're getting homeowners to sign something that says they're going to hold your price for 30 days. But what they're really signing is a contract that says you only have three days to cancel. And they don't tell you that. It's a trick. And people are really getting ripped off by this. We don't pressure people at Energy Swing. There's not fine print at all. What you see is what you get. That's why we won the Better Business Bureau Torch Award three years in a row. That's why we just, in in Western Pennsylvania, won the best of the best on our website. There's actually a video that shows why we were voted as that. When you do the right things right, you're recognized for that. Energy Swing, best of the best. Right now, Word FM listeners get an exclusive 5% off over and above any current offers on windows and doors. Visit EnergySwingWindows.com. At Extreme Car and Truck in Bridgeville, find extreme accessories for all your dirty jobs, like hauling landscape supplies. Protect your vehicle with spray on bed liners, tonneau covers, weather tech floor liners, and more. Say goodbye to dirt and grime inside and out with extreme detailing. Plus, lift kits, electronics, and remote starters. Always a favorite. Extreme car and truck in Bridgeville for the extreme in all of us at extremetruck.net. This story is called The Ugly Truth About Timeshare. If you think you've done your family a favor by buying a timeshare, you need my help. Hello, I'm Chuck McDowell, CEO and founder of Wesley Financial Group. Ten years ago, I started helping folks cancel their timeshare contracts, and in the process started what's now called the timeshare cancellation industry. Timeshare is the only thing that you can buy that you can't tell me how much it's going to cost or when it's going to end. When you buy a timeshare, 
You give them a blank check to fill out any amount they want for annual maintenance and assessment fees. Sound crazy? The crazy thing is, this never ends. Even when you die, your family's now going to be stuck with this burden. Stop the insanity today. Call my office now. I guarantee if we can't cancel your timeshare contract, you'll pay nothing. Call for your free information kit, 800-786-9300. That's 800-786-9300. 800-786-9300. Thinking about life insurance? What if you could make one free phone call and learn your best price from nearly a dozen highly rated price competitive companies? Well, that's exactly what happens when you call SelectQuote Life. For example, George is 40. He was getting sky-high quotes from other companies because he takes meds to control his blood pressure. But when I shopped around, I found him a 10-year, $500,000 policy for under $25 a month. I'm SelectQuote agent Dan Savino. And believe me, if SelectQuote isn't shopping for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much. For your free quote, call 800-494-2323. That's 800-494-2323. 800-494-2323. Or go to selectquote.com. Since 1985, we shop, you save. Get full details on the example policy at selectquote.com slash commercials. Your price could vary depending on your health issuing company and other factors. Not available in all states. Seems to be the theme of the day, doesn't it? I think it, it is. Uh, a lot of the Brett Kavanaugh scenario goes on. Before the weekend, we thought that this Thursday would be the vote that he would sail through. That is a done deal. Yeah, and uh, that we'd have a full Supreme Court again. Anthony Kennedy would be relieved of his duties, and uh, we'd be good to go. But that is not what has come to pass, based on the allegations of a a, a sexual assault back in the eighties um, by a, a college professor who. Alleges that Brett Kavanaugh held her down, tried to girl. rip off her clothes. Uh, when she was a young girl, she he she was afraid that he would, quote, inadvertently kill her. Right. So this has put, obviously, um, a kibosh on the uh, a nomination moving forward. Yeah. And there is a, a request that both the accuser and the accusee uh, appear Monday at a hearing Brett Kavanaugh, the nominee, has said yes, and as of yet... Um, Christine Blasey Ford has said nothing. Right, which is, you know, it's still early. It's only Tuesday, so, I mean, she could walk in that room on Monday morning whenever that hearing is scheduled. Mm-hmm. But apparently Brett Kavanaugh has dug in and said this did not happen. There's no way that I can say that I was part of this. I was not in the room. And as we have talked about, so, I mean... A sickening amount of times over the last two years when discussing issues of alleged sexual abuse, our very first go-to has to be listening to the victim. Yes. Listening to the victim, hearing their whole story, believing that they're telling the truth, um, investigating where it's appropriate, finding out what the truth is. You know, so, of course, that's our go-to in this regard. But here's my question when it comes to this scenario here where's the investigation how how do you investigate something that happened that long ago i don't know here so so diane feinstein had this letter in her possession since apparently july and sat on it and did nothing with it up until the very last second which was sunday right 
So, so what was she doing all that time? So was this just political maneuvering? I mean, she had an opportunity being on the Senate Judiciary Committee to ask Kavanaugh about this. I mean, 10 different times she yeah. could have asked him. They, they have, a, I believe they had a one-on-one meeting and she could have asked him then and didn't. So this was what she was holding on to this to spring it at the very last possible moment. So here this, the thing for me is that, you know, um, the accuser is a professional, obviously a, a reputation to hold on to, someone who has family and married with children and whatnot. Why would she throw that all away to be used as political fodder? That's what that's what scares me about this of of the truth. I mean, it doesn't the truthfulness doesn't scare me. But you know, you think okay, that, then there has to be truth here. There has to be viability. Someone's life's at stake. Someone's viability, their integrity. Why would you throw that all away? I agree. What to be part of some political charade? Now here's to take the thing. The According Justice. to the Washington Post, the article by Emma Brown, uh, which came out on September 16th, she in that. Uh, article insists that she wanted to be anonymous, Christine Blasey Ford. She mm-hmm. wanted to be anonymous. She did not want her name to come out. Um, but of course, there's no possible way with the type of import that the Supreme Court hearings have taken on that she could make an allegation like that and remain anonymous. anonymous. So it just could never happen in today's world. There's no way. I mean, so, people are finding out, you know, what tweets you tweeted, you know, tw- <laughs> 12 years ago in the middle of the night. So, like, it's not like you can ever be anonymous if you're going to make an allegation like that. So then is this – is what you're saying is this is political gamesmanship, that this is Well, on Diane Feinstein's part, it has to be. I don't see how else you would look at it. I don't know. So if you're not sure that the accusation is 100% accurate – Right from the accuser to Diane Feinstein's letter that she was holding, then why would you go public with this? So well, because they want because just in the hashtag Me Too movement world in which we live, just the allegation is enough. I mean, even going back to the Anita Hill Clarence Thomas hearing. I mean, I remember there was no there was no evidence. There was no evidence about that issue. But Democrats demanded a hearing because they said it's not the amount of evidence. It's the seriousness of the charge. I remember that from all those decades ago. That became a famous moniker. It doesn't matter what evidence we have. It's the seriousness of the charge, which basically means we don't have anything. But just because we say something, it might be true. Right. And it's so serious that we have to investigate it. Now, they brought 22 witnesses. I looked that up today, into the Clarence Thomas uh, Anita, Anita Hill, Hill hearing. hearings. Yeah. The Monday hearing we're talking about, just two. Just Kavanaugh and Christine Blasey Ford, if she agrees to be there. What kind of a TV spectacle will that be? It will be such a circus. I would imagine it would be the highest rate. It might bring in Super Bowl numbers, don't you think? I mean, or close to it. <laughs> exactly. People love that stuff. Listen, I find it so depressing. Okay, so let me throw this at you. Are you inclined to believe him or her? Just personally. I'm going to ask you to justify your opinion. I, I'm really torn on this because what we've been told, the narrative of in the paper trail of Brett Kavanaugh, is that Brett Kavanaugh, the judge, the man, is a man of extremely high integrity. We've been told that. Now, on the other hand, on the other hand when I see this accuser and I think, like I just said, she's a professional with a family. Why would you throw your life into turmoil to take somebody down if this is not true? 
So there's two really strong cases, arguments here about mm-hmm. why one side is telling the truth and the other side is just making stuff stuff up. Okay, here's my question. How can she not know if this happened the summer before her sophomore year in high school or the summer before her junior year in high school? Yeah, well, okay, so she's been on record as saying that, right? That she the timeline is muddy in her in her mind. Right. How can how can you not know that? And how she's not sure there there are too many I mean the only proof we have that she told anybody about it outside of her husband as her therapist. But the notes from her therapist indicate that she said that there were four people there. Yeah, but I get that. She said that there were just two people yeah. there. I mean, that okay. just could be sloppiness on the therapist's part. It could part. be, but that's the only corroboration there is. But so I if also, that's the only corroboration there is, it's no corroboration. Well, it, you don't, here's the thing. She might have been, you know, a, a scared little girl who was, I don't know how old she was, 15, 16, whatever, and was so ashamed for fear that. of something coming out that I, she un- kept I, quiet I totally, and didn't even tell her best I friends. I totally understand that. Right. Okay, but here's the thing. How, so how do you determine what happens? I don't know. How do you determine what actually That's happened? That's why you want to tune in. That's the problem with an allegation like this when there's only one person. So, you know, when you talk about uh, Harvey Weinstein or yeah. you talk about Matt Lauer. Multiple you talked accusers. About Charlie Rose. Multiple accusers with creepily similar stories exactly. about what the dudes were doing and so but here the, but then as brett kavanaugh was um you know accused quickly a letter sends that 65 women who knew brett kavanaugh said good guy now wait a second where does that letter come from right, and no what idea. pr circus mm-hmm. has already produced this thing so for the some, press so, so that's somebody weird as well knew, somebody knew this that that happening. story was going to come out so we better somebody get our ducks knew. in a row before okay, this comes but out but then while we were on the air, uh, now there's a, a, a competing letter that has come oh out. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you, wait, no, you, no, Thank so, you, Mike. <laughs> you, I'm only laughing because of the absurdity of life in America right now. We're nutty. Okay. Uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus of Seinfeld fame oh. uh, and Veep fame um, has joined her high school alumni who are now backing the woman. Okay. 599. Did you hear that? 599 alumni of Holton Arms, which is the school that Christine Blasey Ford went to, have released a letter in support of her. Okay, now listen to what it says. Now, again, check this out. It says, we are alumni of the Holton Arms School, and we're writing in support of Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, a fellow Holton graduate. We believe her and are grateful she came forward to tell her story. It demands a thorough and independent investigation before the Senate can reasonably vote on Brett Kavanaugh's nomination to a lifetime seat. Dr. Blasey Ford's experience is all too consistent with stories we heard and lived while attending Holton. Many of us are survivors ourselves. Well, of course, because... No, you know... Okay, so basically that means that we heard terrible stories about the guys at that school. Right. That okay. there was, you know, I mean... Okay, that is not evidence that one person did a thing. No. That is not evidence that one person did a thing. And why... They just believe her. Why? Because they went she to the was same part school. part of the thing, right. That, you know, if there's one story, then there's, you know, a thousand stories. Okay, but if there are a thousand stories about a thousand people, that means that there are a lot of jerks at that school. But if there are a thousand stories about him... That's corroboration, but it's not corroboration that he went to school with a bunch of louts. That means nothing. No, it doesn't mean anything. If if anything, it just means the culture that he grew up in, that was surrounded in, that's all. 
but not about him specifically. Right, which is not, again, so if this was a trial. None of this would hold up. Well, because the burden is on her right. to prove the allegation, right? But this isn't a trial. This is like what? What, what is this? I don't even know what we're doing. Is I'm this like sure a trial by public opinion that we're all... I, I, it's rumor, er, rumor and innuendo and allegations that have a 35-year-old legs that all of a sudden have appeared magically at the 11th hour before some guy's going to be a Supreme Court justice, which essentially is just bad politics. Politics. Red, blue. And so that's what the Supreme Court has become. It's become political arms like everything else is in Washington, D.C. And so we, as these voyeurs, are subject to this as well. The ruination of American society. Okay, but it's also a ruination of a man. Yes, it could be. Perhaps. It could be a ruination of a man. Now, we'll find out if this is something that he brought on himself or not. But if he is innocent, it is the ruination of a man. Yes, it could be. So, I mean, I think that's something that we have to recognize is happening here, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, we recognize the potential for the victim. But we recognize the potential for the accuser. Life doesn't stop on the weekends and neither do you. So we understand that it can be hard to find the time to shop for a mattress. This is Robin Trzinski of the Original Mattress Factory, and we have a completely new website designed to help you simplify the mattress shopping experience. Check out our products, view our prices, and even place an order for pickup, local delivery, or to have it shipped outside of our delivery area. Just visit OriginalMattress.com and find a thoughtfully made, honestly priced mattress of your own. The Original Mattress Factory. Great beds, no bull. This is Chris Abernethy of Abernethy & Hagerman. You don't want the government deciding what happens to your estate or how much they will take. At Abernethy & Hagerman, estate administration is the heart and soul of our practice. We have the experience to help not only plan, but administer your estate properly to protect your assets, minimize taxes, and ensure that your inheritance gets to the ones you love. Decide for yourself. Abernethy and Hagerman. Legal help that lasts a lifetime. Visit a-h.law. Get smarter every day at ozzy.com. Try a new news site that tells you about the most interesting people, places, and ideas. Discover the next Obama or maybe the next LeBron James. Try Ozzy's online quiz today and you could win two free tickets to anywhere in the world on United. ozy.com. We don't want to make light of this. I mean, really, no, you I don't. Know. My heart breaks for this. Of course it does. But at the same time, you have to be able to just shake your head at this crazy environment we're in. So uh, this is an article that was uh, just printed by the Washington Times. Mark Judge, a friend of Brett Kavanaugh from high school, told senators today that he doesn't recall anything like the attempted sexual assault of a woman claims that she suffered at the hands of Judge Kavanaugh and that Mr. Judge supposedly witnessed. Mr. Judge, through his lawyer, also said that he does not want to speak publicly about it, effectively shooting down Democrats' calls that he testified next Mm -hmm. week as part of the freewheeling hearing to examine Christian Blasey Ford's allegations about a decades-old attempted assault. This is by Alex Sawyer, Washington Times. Quote, I have no memory of this alleged incident, Mr. Judge said in a statement through his lawyer to the Judiciary Committee. Quote, Brett Kavanaugh and I were friends in high school, but I do not recall the party described in Dr. Ford's letters. More to the point, I never saw Brett act in the manner Dr. Ford describes. Now, this is a guy, Mike Judge, who wrote a book, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Describing his drunken decade of mm-hmm. debauchery and his uh, his journey to get sober, right? And apparently, in this, there's a shadow character that's identified as Brett Kavanaugh. Well, maybe. 
What's the name of the guy? I can't remember, but it's something like, it's similar to that. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. How many people in the House, in the House of Representatives, sitting there in that room, how many would like us to talk about what they did when they were 17? Yeah, now, but, listen, I'm not saying that is, that's an excuse. No, no, of course I'm not. just saying that for all the finger pointing that we're engaging in, there's very little humility saying, look, you know what? We're just trying to get to the bottom of this. There's just so much political gamesmanship. It makes me sick. But you have to listen sick. to this woman who's speaking I'm out. I'm not saying you, you, you shouldn't take this listen seriously. to it. I'm not saying we shouldn't take it seriously, but I'm saying look at the accusers here. And I don't mean the accuser her. I mean all the people that are pointing the fingers at him from the House of Representatives. Hey, thanks for being with us. Uh, Forget the what they did when they were 18. What did they do a couple years ago? Podcast is up and running about an hour or so after we leave the air. I don't know. The truth will come out, right? The truth I will. hope the truth comes out. The Ride Home with John and Kathy, a production of Word FM and Salem Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.